0: What do you get when you mix pianos, the atomic bomb, and the world's dirtiest joke? You got a good reason to watch movies after work. Hey there, guys. This is Thomas Green for Movies After Work. Alex is, again, still sadly trampled by work. Hashtag give Alex a break already. Jeez, poor guy. Working himself to death. but He is doing all right and sends his love to all of you guys. Out here, wat- watching. Yeah, hopefully you're not watching. I'm, I'm a sight to look at. But looking, looking, listening. There, I got there. Yeah, this is gonna be a good episode, right? Yeah. Uh, so we're gonna be doing something a little bit different. Uh, this week. Um, unfortunately, the episode's coming a little late because I got a little under the weather, uh, and unfortunately, my under the weather involved a lot of coughing. There might still be a little bit in this episode. Hopefully not, but. Uh, yeah, it would have been an episode that was 80% me coughing, so I figured you guys would probably not want to hear just that endlessly. But, you know, the delay gave me a couple of extra fun trailers to talk about, so let's dive right in with the trailer talk. First off, one that I am super excited for, Free Guy, the Ryan Reynolds action comedy. Uh, I It seems to me like movies about video games and not necessarily based on video games, seem to be strong. They seem to work better uh, than when you're adapting a comic book. So, already, the premise has me sold. He's an NPC, uh, for non-gamers, that's a non-playable character, um, who finds himself suddenly a playable character in this world that... Looks like we're probably going to get some Fortnite jokes, which, hey, any chance to, to mock Fortnite, I am on board with. But it's him and a uh, bunch of other great actors all having a lot of fun. Honestly, I was sold on the movie the second that they did the whole from the studio that brought you Beauty and the Beast, Aladdin, and The Lion King. And then the next card said twice. The second it did that, I was sold on the movie. I was ready and raring to go to, to see this movie, to to experience it. Uh, trailer had a lot of really good laughs to it. Uh, lots of really fun stuff with Ryan Reynolds doing what he does best overall. So I'm very excited to, to see what's going to happen there. Um, next up, Wonder Woman 84. It's... You know, it's it's a trailer that left me needing more to to sell me on it. Unfortunately, I I enjoyed the first Wonder Woman, but to me it was it was heavily flawed. Uh, this you know the, this movie does have the the possibility of changing the the two biggest issues that I had with this movie. One is the obvious you know uh, Chris Pine's Steve is back which you know if if we're going to have fun with him that's great but leaving leaving that as a mystery to be solved by going to see the movie or waiting for the next trailer I'm not on board with that that's information that I want right now because how they bring him back is going to play a major part in how interested I am in the movie if it's an interesting reason for him to return I'm on board if it's something campy or just gimmicky for the sake of bringing the character back, then they've lost me already. Um, the other big thing that makes me nervous about this movie is 50 million different locations in that trailer. And I know, I know in general that doesn't necessarily mean a movie's going to be bad, but when I've got so much, what looks like flashback stuff on the Island, sometimes they're in the city, sometimes they're in the desert, sometimes it just too many locations and it makes me worry that the plot is going to get a little too contrived or that it's going to be too constant. The, you know, like, Oh, we've got to go find this mysterious item that's been lost for, for centuries. And then 15 minutes later, Oh, we got it. That was easy. No, I don't know. I don't know how anyone didn't get that before, but we have it now. So cool. Uh, so I'm worried about that. Um, Now the movie has, you know, your, your traditional retcon issue of, you know, we get her in that, uh, the gold suit, which I didn't feel like we got good enough luck at to really be excited for personally. Um, my concern is just, of course, Batman v Superman and justice league take place after this movie. So where did that go? Um, you know, black widow also has this, it has, you know, it's going to have that whole retconning thing of, Oh, these are some things that could have been really handy in movies that take place after this, that we know that you could have used this stuff. Um, it's certainly there as well, but, um, given the fact that with wonder woman, they made the big final moment selling point, the gold angelic armor, it, it highlighted it more for me, I guess is the best way to put it. So I, I, I'm carefully optimistic. I'm actually on board the idea of Kristen Wiig playing a supervillain. Um, I'm actually on board with that. I think that could be really good. I think it could be a lot of fun, but they've got to, you know, they, they've got to sell me on it. It's not just tell me it's happening for me to really get on board with it. Um, next up is Ghostbusters Afterlife. As someone who loves, uh, the original movies, I was underwhelmed. I honestly was, um, it's not, the trailer was not exactly what I was hoping for. I was hoping for something, I guess, a little more concise into the, the grand scheme of things, not just a, um, current Star Wars era nostalgia baiter, which is what this was. It was very nostalgia baiting, um, I don't really want to watch a movie that's just about a bunch of kids doing everything partially because I'm worried it'll have the super eight thing where, you know, I went to go see super eight in theaters and all the stuff about those kids, those characters and the way they were written, trying to make a little low budget eight millimeter film. I would want, honestly, if it was just about that, it would probably be one of my favorite films of that year if not of all time but it got so bogged down with the, the alien slash monster stuff in that movie. And I'm worried that we're headed in that direction with Ghostbusters. So that makes me nervous. Um, But on the other side of it, I, uh, I absolutely love the idea that given the fact that some of these, you know, that one or two of these kids are the uh, grandchildren of uh, Egon who was my favorite Ghostbuster? Um, the idea that it could be a movie about how do you continue such a gravitas legacy, uh, this, given the fact that the movie is directed by the son of the director of the original films, Jason Reitman, um, with his father being Ivan Reitman. The fact, the idea that a that a slightly meta ish movie about the concept of continuing legacy that, that pulls me in that actually pulls me in a lot. Um, so I'm, I'm excited to see where we go with that. Um, and then finally the, the big trailer that came out for me, at least that I was not aware was coming out. And then I woke up one morning and it was there and was so excited was in the Heights. The Lin-Manuel Miranda, Musical finally becoming a film, um, and it looks phenomenal. You know, it. The, I I fully feel like we're getting Washington Heights is a character in its own right. It's not just the location. Uh, the cast is exceptional. You've got somebody who's performed on Broadway with Lin Manuel Miranda taking over the reins of Lin Manuel Miranda's role from the musical, which I couldn't think of any more perfect scenario to handle um, that passage of uh, lineage to the to the role. So, uh, you know, the music in that show is absolutely amazing. The, the choreography looks like it could be a lot of fun. Obviously, it's hard to say on a trailer because in a trailer they do a much better job than in the film itself, in some movies' cases, of making sure that the editing... And the choreography and the music all sync up together. Um, Unfortunately, that's been something very lacking in modern movie musicals. Uh, It's part of why I've only seen the highway sequence of La La Land and then immediately stepped out of the theater. uh, Not giving up on sitting there to watch the whole movie. I poked my head in while I was at work one day, but... I've never felt a drive to go back to see that movie because everything is so out of sync. Nothing seems to be on the same page in that opening number, and it gave me such a sense of dread for what I was about to have to experience if I watch the movie itself. Someday I will watch it so I can have a full, proper opinion on it, but my hope is that In the Heights does not fall into... the the current trend of everything is doing its own thing. And remembers that a musical is about everything being in sync together. Um, and also because of the style of music, I'm confident that we're going to get, you know, we're not going to get the, the thing that we get with movies like, uh, Les Mis and a few other modern movie musicals where it's all about singing as pretty as you can and ignoring what your character is actually going through. So, I'm expecting more character over cosmetics, which is usually how I word it, um, with this. So I'm very, I'm very excited. It's something I'd like to be there opening day on, uh, whether or not I'll be able to, I'm not sure, but it's, that's the dream. So, but those are, those were the big trailers that I can, uh, think of. I just watched another trailer and I'm totally spacing on it. And I literally watched it like half an hour ago. Um, Promising Young Girl, I believe was the name of it. Carrie Mulligan, Bo Burnham, um, from one of the executive producers of Killing Eve. Promising Young Woman, I think, is the name of the movie. Uh, If it's not, hopefully it's close enough that if you decide to look it up, it gets you there anyway. It looks dark. It looks like it's going to be challenging. And it looks like it's a big middle finger to a lot of aspects of our culture that are hard to stomach as a whole uh with a pretty fun and different Carrie Mulligan performance overall. So I'm very excited uh about that one as well. Uh the potential of what we could be getting out of it. Um you know what? Screw it. This is a movie podcast, but screw it. I also watched a gaming trailer. Um there is this game called Hellblade uh sending you a Sacrifice Uh, one of the best video games I've ever played in my life. They have a sequel coming out, um, called Zenua Saga Uh, trailer dropped during the the video game awards this week. And oh my God, I'm so on board. I'm sold. I mean, literally I didn't even need a trailer to be on board for this, but I'm, I'm excited, but I'm just going to say that little piece about it. Let me take a quick drink of mine. They're not promoting, so I'm not telling you what I'm drinking. I don't know why I did that. My apologies for all of you people, because I can't stand that ASMR, or whatever the hell it is crap either. Let's get down to the nitty-gritty of things. Uh, Like I mentioned, it's going to be a little different than usual. I'm not going to be talking in a deep dive about a specific movie that I watched this week. I'm going to give a a little review of Knives Out at the end of all things here, um, as an excuse to try to make you want to stick around. But, um what I wanted to do this week to do something a little different is I wanted to give you guys my list of my top 10 all-time favorite documentaries. Um, I, it's, it's a genre that doesn't get a lot of love unless it's some big name documentary that comes out that really grabs everyone's attention. And by no means are, is this list without a couple of those, but it's something that there's, there's such opportunity for a whole world of, of film and narrative that, that people don't go into enough, I think. And it's a great way to challenge yourself into something that you're not normally into. And so as, or taking a deeper dive into something that you have some interest in. So it's something that I, you know, I wanted to talk about. I thought it'd be fun. Um, and if you've turned off by now, then apparently I'm the only one, but you know, what are you going to do? Uh, no, I do think there, I have a couple of people that will want to listen, have opinions and hopefully yell at me and tell me I'm wrong or that I forgot something. Hopefully there are some of you out there. Um, so number 10 for me is the aristocrats, uh, not to be confused with the Disney film, the aristocats two very different, different films, uh, with the aristocrats, the general premise of the film is it is about the world's dirtiest joke, uh, the absolute filthiest joke that exists on the planet, except the dirty, filthy stuff is not set in stone. Uh, Penn Jillette of Penn and Teller fame and one of his friends produced and directed this documentary where they went to a bunch of different comedians, uh, dozens and dozens of comedians, to have each of them give their own telling of the aristocrats. And the whole concept of the joke is you start with the premise of this family goes into a talent agent's office and proposes this amazing stage act. And then you describe it. And you describe the filthy, horrific stuff, you know, bodily fluids... Sexual acts, horrible maimings and murder, basically just the, the worst stuff in the world that you can think of for the purpose of shock value. And then at the very end of describing the act, which can be quick, it can be long. There are people that have told 20-minute versions of what the act is. Um, and then at the very end, he asks what the name of the, the act is, and they looked at him, look at him and say, The aristocrats. You know, it's something very, a very high-end name for something so filthy is what they just got. Um, So you get a lot of comedians that you know and love and a few that you might discover all telling this joke. And the comedy is, it's very crude. It's very, 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 very filthy, dirty, adult content. So not one to watch with your kids. But... You get to watch Drew Carey, Bob Saget, Don Rickles, Martin Mull, um, so many other people. I'm I'm spacing on names at the moment, but you get to see this wide variety of people telling this joke, and it's the same joke over and over again for this entire film, but it never gets old, because you're always thinking, what is this guy, or what is this girl? What are they going to say now? What's their piece what's what's their version of this what's going to happen next and it draws you in and next thing you know the movie is over you have tears of stone down your face you hopefully haven't had to go run to the bathroom to throw up um but you come out of it uh gained a kind of experience uh, a fun aspect of the You know, the the, the way that being a comedian, you have to find your voice and how the aristocrats can help some of them find their voice and determine what exactly their brand and their style is and things like that. And so it's, it's, you know, it's about this filthy, dirty joke, but there's also a, a little bit of a feeling of the process of comedy mixed in with it. So it's, it's a lot of fun. Uh, number nine, continuing in that same sort of vein in a weird way, is I Know That Voice. Uh, this is a movie for anybody who is a fan of voiceover work, whether it's animated films, video games, you know, any, any of that, any, anything that involves voiceover work, and they got all of these amazing, talented people, Tara Strong, Phil Lamar, Mark Hamill, Kevin Conroy, all of these amazing people. Billy West, of course, is in there because he's our, you know, he's the modern day, like, quintessential voiceover artist in so many ways. But learning about the process and the challenges of getting into that industry and how unexpectedly beneficial it can be. I mean, you've got, you've got some people like uh, Tess McNeil, who's. Amazing. Uh, Tress McNeil, who, you know, she does Daisy Duck for any. If, if you ever hear Daisy Duck talk in anything for the past like 20 years, if not more, it's been her. She did a ton of voices on Futurama. Uh, she was um, Dot and the Animaniacs. You know, she is, you know, she is a, a cultural icon. Even if you don't know her name and the amount, you know, her, her list of, of credits, if you go on IMDb is one of the longest ones you'll ever see. Um, and it's the same for like Billy West, um, Joe DiMago, who does Bender on Futurama, uh, Marcus on the Gears of War video games and, uh, so many so many, so many other things, and it's it's just an amazing process to see, and it's so much fun to watch them sitting there and suddenly talking in these voices that you know them for. Um, a good side piece to that, if you enjoy it, is, I don't know if it's still on YouTube, but on YouTube you used to be able to find a video of a bunch of these guys where they sat at a table with the script for Star Wars, A New Help and Kevin Conroy in the Batman voice did the stage direction, and every single scene they swapped up who was playing which character and what voice they were doing. So you had Christopher Walken, you know, um, you had a Christopher Walken impression for R2-D2 for one scene from, uh, I'm totally spacing on his name right now, and I feel terrible. I'm going to say Jess Harnell, but I'm sure it's wrong, but he played the youngest of the Animaniacs on The Animaniacs, another amazing performer, uh, that you've heard a million times. Um, but you get so much, so many laughs in that and so many laughs in the documentary. So it's, it's one, if you like that world, if you like that field, you gotta watch it. Um, number eight goes a very different direction. Uh, but it is the bridge, uh, made in, 2004, I'm going to say, but I'm probably wrong. Uh, it is a very somber documentary about how the Golden Gate Bridge is one of the most visited places by people who are planning to commit suicide. Uh, and it delves really into uh, the aspects of uh, suicide and... What can lead people to this and the horrors of them making these decisions and how they affect family and friends and just all this kind of stuff? All the meanwhile, having some images that are truly shocking and hard to watch. It is a beautifully understated film uh, that still gets its point across uh, perfectly. So it's one that I. I always strongly recommend people that are not familiar or understanding with, uh, what it's like for, for people to be suicidal. Um, as you know, as I, as I've talked about on, on Twitter, on, um, mental health day this year, you know, I am somebody, I am classified as high risk. And so to have something besides myself to explain to people what it's like to have that mindset is, is, is really important. And they, they do a really great job with it. Um, but that's, that's all I'm going to say on that one for, for right now. Uh, number seven, we have lost in La Mancha. One of the most excruciatingly painful and heartbreaking film documentaries you'll ever watch Uh, set during the pre-production and what, and the three days of actual production that, that they actually got through when Terry Gilliam first tried to make the man who killed Don Quixote, which we finally got this year at the time it was Johnny Depp and uh, Jean Rochefort, um, which um, would have been a good cast for the script as it was at the time. Uh, But you get to see the process if you're like me and you're a fan of Terry Gilliam. You really get to see into his mindset a lot into this because you get to be with him during pre-production. Because, of course, a lot of it was being, you know, not everything up until production was shot down was filmed with the belief that this was going to be a making of documentary that was attached to the movie when it was released on home video. So you're watching these people full of hope at getting to do something that ultimately fails. Um, you go into a little bit of the myth and lore of the curse of the story of Don Quixote. And it is absolutely amazing. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's one that most film, I feel like a lot of film people know about this this documentary, but I, I'm not 100% sure that that many have actually watched it. Um, but I think the reason is not from ignorance or laziness. I think it's because it's known to be so painful to watch. You know, It's kind of like trying to get somebody who's heard about the office party or the dinner party episode of The Office to watch it if you know what that episode's going to be like, you it's hard to convince yourself to watch it because its gonna, you know it's going to be painful. So, it's, yeah, it's amazing, insightful movie, again. And I'm going to be using these words a lot. This is going to be a lot of repetitive words, but it's my top ten favorite. So, of course, I feel very similar about all these movies. Uh, number six. We have Batman and Bill, the Hulu original documentary about the unknown legacy of Bill Fingers and his involvement in the creation of Batman and that whole ethos and universe. Um, I got angry watching this movie. I got legitimately angry because I was somebody I used to... You know, because I love Batman so much, I I used to have a attitude of like, look, I, I personally like Michael Keaton's Batman the best, but Bob Kane says his favorite's Val Kilmer. That means the the best one is Val Kilmer. That's the bottom line. Nowadays, my attitude is, yeah, Bob Kane thought that, but he, turns out he was a stud bastard. So I, I'm gonna just stick with Michael Keaton, and he he can have his own opinion. Um, based off of a phenomenal book. And I feel terrible that I'm doing so shoddy with names. I gotta work on that. And I especially feel bad because uh, the author of this book has commented when I've talked about this film on Twitter in the past, and it is an incredibly nice and and friendly and open guy. Um, So go out, you know, buy the book, give him some love and support as much as watch the documentary, because it is... It's a lot about, you know, it says so much about process and legacy and perception. It's sort of, you know, it's the concept of what if the Mandela effect happened, but because somebody designed it that way, not just because of how we perceive as humans, you know, what happens when the Mandela effect is designed by someone, which is in its own right, a terrifying concept. Um, but, but, on the whole as a movie, absolutely brilliant, amazing. Um, and it holds you in. It, it keeps you held in the entire time because you're rooting for, for bill. You're rooting so much for bill that you're looking for that happy ending and you kind of know where it's going to go. But at the same time, you're just sitting there like rooting for a happy ending to all of it. So see the documentary buy the book it's, it's one to, to dig your teeth into, even if you're not a big comic book person, because um, it's still a fascinating story, even if you're not big into comics. Uh, number five, top half right here. Number five is Man on Wire, the amazing story about the tightrope walk between the World Trade Centers. I watched this movie honestly expecting nothing. I watched it thinking, I don't even remember my reasoning for watching it in the first place. I think I just randomly selected it to watch. So that way I could say I watched something new that day and I was blown away. Uh, brilliant storytelling, uh, cohesive narrative structure. And, you know, they have these reenactments, which feel like they should be hokey and weird, but they're, they're fun. And they're, 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 at times hilarious because they, they emulate the, the love of life and the, and the, the great sense of humor that this guy had. Uh, and so you find yourself just watching this whole movie. Like you, you know, you know how the story ends, you know how the story ends. Cause even if you don't know whether or not he successfully makes the walk, The movie is just too happy right from the get go for you to ever think, okay, well it ends with it. It ends with him dying. Obviously you never, you you just never think that because why are they so happy this whole fricking time? If the ending is going to be so sad, but at the same, you're still on the edge of your seat. I was on the edge of my seat with this documentary and I knew he was going to be okay. So just a um, uh, you know something absolutely amazing that for someone for a for a human being to accomplish and to to experience it is just in in any capacity even in, through the the eyes of a documentary is just so powerful an experience so that's definitely another one number 4 and this one this one is probably my m- m- second place on here for obscure ones. But number 4 is the Atomic Cafe. Basically in 19 in the 1980s, a couple of people said that they wanted to make a documentary and decided to go a brilliant route. Instead of making a movie, where they went and they talked to people and they tried to get people who were part of these part of this nuclear era to discuss what happened, discuss the horrors to, to do sort of an investigative thing. Instead of doing something like that, they, they let them tell the story in a whole other way. They took clips, news and, and short films and PSAs and all sorts of stuff like that. uh, And they spliced them all together. And they turned it into one of the most terrifying documentaries I've ever seen in my life. Um, You'll go from one minute to having another, from having a little animated turtle whistling a song about ducking and covering. Because if you duck and cover underneath your desk, that will protect you from a nuclear blast. Which is something they actually were telling people at the time before they fully understood the concept of the damage of radiation but you go from something like that where it's silly. It's weirdly silly and naive to see them doing this. And the next thing you know, you're in broad daylight at knee level, watching the military walking towards a mushroom cloud in the middle, in the middle of the day. It's a bright, colorful world and you've got this gigantic mushroom cloud closer than you feel like anyone should ever see one. And you're just watching all of these guys walking towards it, running a drill. Literally, Like you find, you find out so many fascinating things about the training that the military went through in regards to the atomic bomb and all the stuff that they didn't know and the things that they would do before it finally caught on that we need to stay away from these blasts. We need to stay away from the damage that they cause. And for this movie to, to show it using, letting these people speak for themselves in the past without ever really discussing it in the future or in the present or anything, it's terrifying because you, you know, you, you cannot get a better grasp of the destructive qualities of nuclear bombs better than than this, in my personal opinion. Um, we understand conceptually a lot of things, but for a full grasping of things in, in a whole other dimension, the Atomic Cafe is one of the best-slash-worst ways to experience it. Um, number three is probably the most popular movie on my list. And it is, won't you be my neighbor? Three minutes. Three minutes is how far I made it into the movie before I was a sobbing mess. Uh, I am from the area. So I grew up with, with Mr. Rogers stuff around me all the time. And he, he is just, a, he embodies the best, of human existence without, without question. And the documentary does a beautiful job of showcasing in a way that I feel he would have been okay with. You know, I, it's not like you're watching him be put up on this gigantic pedestal, which I, nothing, nothing in any interview or show or anything like that that I've ever seen with him would suggest to me that he would enjoy that. Um, it does, it just simply shows him as who he is and how he felt and how he wanted to express that. And it is beautiful. It is absolutely beautiful. It is still, it's getting no love during... The awards season that year is still one of the greatest tragedies of the awards season, in my opinion. But I have thoughts on awards in general, and I'll talk about that in a little bit. Um, Yeah, this is a movie I don't feel like I have to say too much on, because I know a lot of people that I talk to on on film Twitter, they've seen it. They love it. Um, Most people have seen it and love it. Most people that haven't, they want to. Because they they know it's going to be good. So. Uh, number two. Is Waking Sleeping Beauty. Um, it is this. Phenomenal documentary. About. The 90's. Renaissance era. Of the Disney Animation Studio. The movie is. Directed and produced by two of the animators that were around at the time. And so it's not two outsiders coming in trying to pry information. It is two people that were actually there that were given the go-ahead to dive deep into the darkness that happened there. The bitter fights, the feuds, the ugly battles for power that were happening the hopelessness that some of them were feeling at the time as they were trying to keep their jobs. Um, it's one of the most balanced documentaries I've ever seen a studio produce about itself because it does not shy away from the fact that Disney was in essence, the villain at the time they, you know, they were both the villain and the like, sage like mentor, depending on the person, because there was a mixture of no faith and thinking about the bottom line. And there was the view of thinking about the artistic and, uh, the, the importance of that. And you see it in everything. And they got people, they got higher ups like Roy Disney who had refused to really talk about any of this stuff since the Lion King came out to talk about it. Um, And mix that in with some uh, beautiful footage. And I mean, I to this day, I've seen this movie multiple times. And I got to tell you, at one point you get to see Howard Ashman describing how Under the Sea starts. Describing describing what's going on musically and on screen. And it gives you goosebumps. It is powerful. You are watching a genius at work. It, and it, you, there's no denying watching this guy and going, this is one of the most brilliant minds that lived. And this guy played a critical role in saving Disney Animation. No question, no, no debate. I will not debate that on anyone because to me it is an inarguable fact. And, and it's just seeing everything that they went to. And the movie covers from around Fox and the Hound, Black Cauldron period of time to, uh, the world premiere of the Lion King. It covers that span of time. So you get a lot, you get a lot to work with a lot of story. Um, Finding out a lot of the the crazy things that the animators would do uh, to have fun and, and stay active and understand things. So, it's it's on Disney Plus, which makes me so happy because it used to be a an altogether hard to access film unless you owned it, like I do. And so now, for it to be out there, and for people to be able to watch it and enjoy it and and get to learn about an era of Disney that we all connect with and that we all resonate with. You know, to, to be able to be a part of that world a little bit more, no pun intended, as I was saying that hit me, Um just feels like the magic that we all as, associate or want to associate Disney with. So it's it's, it's the most, it's one of the most accessible movies that's, that's on my list. And it's one that I, I am constantly begging people to watch because I want to be able to talk about it with other people so badly. Um, but that leaves us with my, uh, my number one all time favorite documentary, which is also probably the most obscure documentary that I have on this list. Um, and that is, note by note, the making of Steinway L-1037. This is a documentary so, so passionately in love with its source material that there's no narration. There is no narrator for this movie. The whole concept for the movie is you are following the year-long process it takes to hand-make A Steinway Grand Concert Piano. And... The only people that tell you about it... Are the people doing it themselves. You don't have a famous narrator... Who is explaining it while they're doing it. And they... Everyone who is building this piano... They are the ones guiding you through the process. And... Seeing the craftsmanship... That they are putting into their work. And seeing... Everything unfolding as they're working on it is just so immensely, immensely satisfying. And I, it's just, it's one of those movies that my dad rented it back in the like, people were only starting to figure out, figure out it existed era of Netflix. And he rented it and I came downstairs while he was in the middle of it and I just got sucked in. So then I watched it and then I hunted for a copy of the movie to own myself. Um, and now I use the movie as a threat to make my eight to 13 year old nieces and nephews behave. I threatened to make them watch a documentary about how a piano gets put together. Um, oversimplifying it, of course, but, at the same time, it, it's, it it is one of those movies that is stuck with me. It is it is stuck with me throughout the years, because um, I mean I saw this back when I was in high school. So we're talking, almost, you know, we're we're coming up close on this movie being in my life twenty years now, and, it's, it's just amazing. It is. It's. You know, it's one, I don't know, I haven't checked lately to see if it's available to even rent on Amazon Prime or anywhere else, but if, if it is, I, I, I beg you, watch this movie, um, watch this, you know, this movie, It not only is it about the craftsmanship and the power of music and the beauty of music and the beauty of, of hand making something, So powerful, but it, it's so clearly passionate about it itself that it lets the people who do the job talk about it, which is just a level of respect that, that you wouldn't think about until you realize like, yeah, this is not normally how normally this would be a 15 minute spot on a, how did this get made episode on discovery channel? But no, somebody was determined to spend a year filming a documentary and wanted to make sure that it was the people doing the job that were being the voices of the story. So again, that's, it's my number one all time favorite documentary. I, I strongly, strongly urge everyone to watch it. It's worth it. It is worth every second, in my opinion. It's worth every penny that you're going to spend to rent or buy it. If anyone else has actually watched this movie, because I've never met anyone besides, you know, my father and I are the only ones that I know who have watched this movie. So anyone else who's watched this movie, please let me know because that would get me so excited. Um, but yeah, that is my, that's my top 10 documentaries of all time. A uh, little heavy on the performing arts world, I know, but that's me. I'm, I love the performing arts. I love theater, music, movies, television. I lo- I love all that stuff. So having a list that lives heavily in that realm makes sense. And I would expect the same of, you know, anyone anyone that I know. I would expect their leanings of the documentaries that they love to most that they love the most to lean in the direction of the things that they are into. Um, it makes the most sense. So, yeah. let me know, let me know what you think of the list. Let me know. Um, let me know what your favorites are. Um, I don't mean to sound like I'm wrapping up cause I, like I said, I got a knives out review for you. Um, but let me know what you think. Cause I, I'm always looking for new documentaries. I'm always looking for, for stuff that's going to challenge me stuff that I can't turn on and then do something else. Um, I admittedly am, I'm one of those people. I turn on a video game. I usually turn the sound off if I've, depending on how I'm playing the game, and then I'll turn on a movie or a TV show. Usually not something I've never seen before, but I, I'm one of those people that I'm always excited to be challenged with. Here's something that you're going to need to sit down and pay fucking attention, to what you're, what you're watching, you gotta, you gotta really hone in here, so, if you got anything like that, I'm always excited, um, I took someone's recommend, recommendation not too long ago, and watched a documentary, Tickled, which, just creeped me out, it just creeped me out, it was the point, so they did a good job, but it, fuck did it creep me out, um, but yeah, so, moving along, um, I got to *See Knives Out* this week. I was excited to. Unfortunately, I was underwhelmed. It was still a, a good movie, but I was underwhelmed. I to me it was. It was a confirmation of something about Ryan Johnson, that, uh, you know, I'm not looking to, to start any of these freaking fights that are going on right now on, on social media. But it. it he is not an ensemble person. He's not, he needs a lead or two that he focuses on while other characters that are small supporting come in and out. Um, you know, the closest thing he's ever done to an ensemble film that works is brick, but it's not an ensemble film. feels like it, but it's not. It's about Joseph Gordon Lovett with small little scenes with other characters, but it's not, an ensemble piece. This was supposed to be an ensemble piece. And in the end we ended up with everyone who wasn't our two leads or three leads completely wasted. Um, which also unfortunately led to, you know, I and part, part of the fault is in the trailer to, to be completely honest. Part of the fault is in the trailer, but I mean, I saw, you know, I solved it. In the first act, I had it figured out and literally to the point where when she was admitting what actually, you know, when she was going through her whole, what actually happened thing that included switching the, the, the two medicines. And we were actually getting to watch the whole interaction, which was fantastic acting on their part. I was sitting there not thinking, Oh man. Oh, she's going to have to make sure that nobody, I was like, obviously making sure nobody finds out is going to be a critical thing for her. But in my head I was going, well, okay, but I know who did it. So how, so I, I spent the whole time and spoilers going forward. Um, I mean, spoilers this whole time, but hopefully you figured out by now that we don't shy away from spoilers. I, you know, I, as soon, literally, as soon as they were like, and the third time she woke up was when the dogs were barking. I went, Chris Evans did it. Chris Evans did it. We know Chris Evans did it. And so the whole time that we're in there, I was like, okay, so did he switch the bottle? Did he, maybe he switched the tag. I may switch the tag. Like I was figuring out how he played into all that. Um, and it was just kind of. I don't know, it was just kind of ridiculous to me um, that it was so predictable. You know, everyone had kind of been so like, oh, it was so shocking. And I was just like, no, it wasn't. And I didn't want to solve it. I wanted to be along for the ride. I wanted to sit there, enjoy the ride, and be shocked at the end. But the some of the hints and clues were just a little too on the nose. They were a little too throw in your face. And I know this is, I, I, I love Chris Evans and I really, really do not want to anger Nick over it. Black girls do stuff too. Um, but he was so the wrong choice for that role. Not because he did a bad performance. Cause he didn't but because the fact that they had somebody so currently popular and famous for being the good guy. I, I went into this movie. I went, I went into the trailers thinking, well, it's going to have to be him because that's the, in their mind, that's the shocking thing. But I don't, for me, I wanted to find a, it, perfect and part of this is because for some reason the movie Greed <laughs> kept getting in my head, and <coughs> um, maybe you know, the and that's a, an old like nineties Michael J. Fox Kirk Douglas film that's okay and then the third act is fucking amazing for it, um, but I kept so much of me was sitting there during the will reading going how great would it be if everything was being staged by Plummer and Evans? And at the the last moment in the movie is just Plummer walking into the background in the final shot. doesn't say anything. We don't see the rest of the family realize he's still alive, but if he just showed up and then it cut to credits and we just found out, like it's all been this big fucking ruse and just a, you know, like a, a plot to just screw with the family, like, how great would that be? And I, I kept thinking and I just, and it's, you know, it's no fault of the movie that it didn't do what I thought would have been good because it's not, no movie is going to have the the perfect answers. No movie is going to have the perfect answer Sorry, the hiccups right there. Phone's being weird. Um, no movie is going to have the perfect answer for every little thing. Um, and we're always... You know, it's the... It's the... 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 Fail... The the failing of the audience, in a sense. Of the audience will always be able to imagine something better than what you can provide them. Because they tailor it to themselves. Um, that's why violence off screen is usually far more effective than, than on screen because the audience is imagining something more horrific happening. Um, but I, you know, the performances were good. If you told me that Ryan Johnson was making another movie about Daniel Craig character, I, I, if he does it as he's talked about, I'm there. The second there's a trailer out for it, I'm watching that trailer and getting excited for that movie because I love the character. Um, and I did to a sense, like the whole concept that we knew they, they essentially gave a sort of red herring of making it seem like the movie had turned into, instead of it being a whodunit into a will whodunit get caught because we know whodunit. I did like that kind of, that, that twist to that they, that they delivered on, um, but, you know, you when you spend almost none of the movie, like, it, the the point in the movie where he goes, I've not eliminated any suspects, in my head I went, okay, well, how about all of the characters that you've basically ignored, that the movie has pretty much ignored since around the time that we found out that she accidentally killed him? I mean, literally... That's like that was such a tell when so many amazing actors were left on the side to do nothing for the majority of the film. I mean easy paychecks for pretty much everyone, but like poor Jamie Lee Curtis, she's a phenomenal actor, and her entire role in the film was we're gonna point at somebody, and you're gonna be angry at them for something, and we're just gonna keep doing that. <laughs> um, but you end up with so much of that. Um, I want Don Johnson to hold a press conference, letting everyone know that he's not as racist as everyone casts him to be. Cause he and Sam Rockwell keep getting cast as some pretty racist motherfuckers. Uh, and I feel bad for them cause that's some bullshit, but I mean, overall good concept, Good characters, bad execution, in my opinion. Um, I also completely forgot. Uh, I like as soon as I was out of the theater, I forgot the score, and I was so excited. Like I, I would love for that score to have like driven the movie for me, um, but I completely forgot. I couldn't remember a single note of that right when I left the theater. So that bummed me out. It just, it's it's a movie that had so many things working for it. And it just, to me, it never executed them right. Like on my letterbox, I gave the movie three out of five. Um, because there were, there were enough things that were strong. It just never felt like they utilize they. It often felt like they weren't utilizing them as best they could. If that makes sense? Um, <coughs> but yeah, so that's my, that's, that's my review of Knives Out. I know it's. Not the, 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 the main opinion of most people, but it's, it's mine for, for what it's worth, which is usually about buck eighty five. Now, next, um, I just wanted to really quick talk about something just super quick. Try to keep it, so I'm going to keep my eye on the timer to make sure I keep the super quick and simple. All right. <clears throat> Don't do this shitty Power Rangers reboot idea. Fuck that. Okay, moving on. Um, next, um, uh, last thing I want to talk on real, just real, real quick, um, just minor amount of ranting and rambling, hopefully, is, uh, all the hubbub that surrounded the, the Golden Globe nominations, um, I pay very little attention to the Golden Globes as a whole. I still don't know everything that was nominated specifically because their opinion is usually really shitty. Uh, their opinion, the, the Golden Globes are at the end of the day in all reality, they are self validation, self validation done by these critics that, usually all agree in unison about everything. You know, it's a bunch of people that pretty much you know exact you know, you can go through the Hollywood Foreign Press, read their reviews and read the reviews of one of them and pretty much be able to gather what the where the awards are going to go. Um usually there's there's only a few little differences um between the Globes and the Oscars, but those those little differences are usually very good ones. Like uh, the one that I go to is when critics were just vehement, like they were just endless about, oh, boyhood needs to win everything. Boyhood needs to win everything. And the Oscars went, well, we'll give them supporting actress. And didn't give it anything else. To be very clear, it deserved less than that that it's one of the worst movies I've ever seen in my life. Um, but stepping that aside, um, it's, it's all self validation. It's them, it's them in their minds going, well, it won this award. It, it's, you know, we kept saying this movie was good and now it's gotten a best picture at the globe. So clearly we were right. And it's, no, you guys said it was good. Then you voted for it in your, within your own little group to, to say it was good. And then you give it an award and you think that's valid. like, no, that's not the, the globes to me, people should be ignoring them. Um, honestly, if not for, if not for the fact that they, they are still needed to a certain extent, um, in term like critics are still needed to a certain extent, it would be something where I would be really wanting to see more and more people in the industry just not go. I would love to see a bunch of them just not going to anything. Um, because it's, yeah, it's, it's self-validated. Like at least with like the Emmys, the Tonys, the Oscars, at least with stuff like that, it's not so much of self-validation as people within an industry coming together to, to recognize each other's work whereas with the golden globes it's pretty much exclusively them going and giving awards to movies as a way to validate their opinions and try to and to make it seem like as a result everyone should agree with them which sometimes they have sometimes they have the right idea sometimes they have bullshit ideas um but it's very clear where a lot of their loyalties lie. It's a very clear what their general attitude is. Um I think in in the realm of some saying something that's gonna be probably debatably controversial, I don't think there's anything different between saying there should be a male and a female director category than there is in saying well, the women would have gotten on. There were just more m- movies that were better made by men. This year. I think it's just as condescending because you're basically telling them they didn't have a fighting chance. Um, it's one thing when you're talking about the the world of male and female actors because there is a there is there is a legitimate difference in a lot of those in a lot in a lot of the processes and a lot of the types of roles it's it is a way sort of like expanding the the best picture categories amount of nominations it's a way to to make sure that there's a little bit more variety existing plus at the end of the day if you only had one acting and supporting acting category and every single year it was dominated by men you would suddenly notice a bunch of you know the industry itself would struggle to, to not have so much infighting that they wouldn't be able to get movies finished and released. But with directing to say that there's something different between a woman directing a film and a man directing a film to me is bullshit. Both are doing the same work at the same caliber with the same purpose and intent. It makes, it would make more sense to separate directing by cat by genre than by gender. So uh, for me, it's a matter of this is not about the quality of, of, of a woman's worth work versus the quality of a man's work. This is about, a, you know, people constantly just not acknowledging the work of women. This is about the work that women are putting in being viewed as inferior just because of their gender. And it's fucking disgusting and it's bullshit. And I'm, I mean, we are, we are getting to a point where both, where we're in so many different climates, political, artistic, so many different ways we are seeing, we are, we are seeing a level of, of patience dine out that have has been required for stability and I think it's a good thing I think as more and more people have a vocal loss of patience over the way that award seasons go and set behavior goes and You know, letting Harvey Weinstein have a fucking cane or walker or whatever the asshole had to try to play some sort of, I'm a frail, weak old man, sympathy card bullshit. Um, I think as more and more of the patience for all of that stuff is dying out, we're going to start seeing, you know, we're going to start seeing things like, you know, oh, you nominated everything, you know, you nominated everything about this movie, except for the female director. And so the entire cast and crew goes, okay, we're not going to, we're not, we're not going to the award ceremony. Like the, you know, it, it's one of the, it's one of those things where we, we have gotten complacent. With status quo and so many things, and I'm excited to start seeing people go. No, we're we're done with the status quo. We expect different. We expect better, and hopefully, we get there soon. Because, I mean, we we've seen we're seeing endlessly that there there is no excuse for for the lack of representation, and for making things like the Oscars a celebration of what white men have done in cinema because they're not the only ones in the game. They're not the only ones there and we need to stop behaving like they are. But that's my big, that's my big pseudo political rant on golden globes. I don't, I don't know what all the nominations are. I just know from online and from not being shocked and just assuming that, and them being right, that, you know, drastic lack of diversity in the the nominees when there's a strong diversity on the screen, um, and behind the camera, and, you know, I don't know when they are, I won't watch them, I never really do, um, I don't usually watch awards to begin with, because it just gets old by the time you get the Oscars, you know, every all the categories. Um, I can usually, usually with the exception of an occasional surprise here and there for like costuming or, you know, sound editing, I usually don't get super surprised. Um, also on a similar note though, the fact that SAG, the, the Screen Actors Guild's stunt nominations prove a continued ignorance from the acting industry as to what the stunt department of a film brings to the table. I, it's really, it's becoming, it's, it's painfully clear by those nominations and it's, it's bullshit. So, um, a lot of do better needed all across the industry. So hopefully that starts to happen. but that's, that's what I got guys. I'm not super exciting. I've been I've been working my new job. I'm, this is my first day off since Thanksgiving. So been trying to enjoy it. Um, I'm looking forward to, to diving in this week, listening to some more of you guys' amazing podcasts. Um, I, I hope you guys have all been having a great holiday season, I hope that it continues on into the holidays themselves, I hope everyone's staying safe, I hope everyone's staying, staying happier, um, you know, so, I'm gonna leave it at that, don't forget to, uh, follow us at, on Twitter, at Movies Work. Uh, go ahead and shoot us an email movies after work at gmail.com. If you want to really rant without any, anyone noticing what you have to say, don't worry. I will cry. You will achieve your purpose. Um, I have some, I have some stuff on the back burner. Hopefully, you know, this week we might, I might have one of my guest spots. Um, still gotta ink out all the details. So it's tricky when, uh, when you move again and you find that you're not physically near any of the people that you normally talk to. So, but, uh, we're getting it all sorted. Excuse me. My kids again, sleeping lately. So, uh, this is Thomas green. Thank you guys so much for listening. Have a good day. Have a good weekend and, uh, have a good day at work. Bye.